1: Today, we've got Lou Hughes on the show. Hey, Lou, how are you? Great, Vant. How are you? I'm really, really well. Lou, I'm excited to talk to you about a topic that is very much on the minds of a lot of business executives that certainly handle global business. Uh, Lou Hughes is the CEO of Bionics, and he is uh, an expert on engineering and manufacturing solutions. Um, Bionics is a company that started in 1981. They provide advanced precision engineering and manufacturing solutions for the healthcare, automotive, and technology sectors. Uh, They have five manufacturing locations in four countries including Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, and China, and have over 7,000 employees globally. Uh, Bionics is a big player. They're a top 50 global EMS company. And so, Lou, we're excited to learn more from you on what's happening in uh, your space. But before we get there, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career today.
0: Well, so I'm a mechanical engineer. I uh, worked for General Electric for uh, about 14 years when I came out of college. I just noticed today in the Wall Street Journal that uh, uh, the front uh, page of the Wall Street Journal outlined uh, kind of the death of General Electric, which is just yeah. amazing about you know how far that company's come. But when I worked there, uh, General Electric was a was a powerhouse. Uh, yeah. We uh, we, I was in three of the businesses: aircraft engines, uh, appliances, and uh, then I finished up in plastics. And um, so, and that plastics experience is kind of what I took forward um, through really the rest of my career uh, because I spent a lot of time in manufacturing um, and in sales in plastics. And um, and so that's really you know brought me through you know a number of other positions uh, over time, and uh, I ended up at Bionics about three years ago. And Bionics is a uh, precision uh, components manufacturer uh, that also does some turnkey assembly where it makes sense, uh, but our core is in building precision components and assemblies uh, for big. Uh, Tier 1 automotive companies like Bosch and Aptiv and Valio um, and Sensata and Lear and go down the list, uh, as well as um, building um, medical uh, precision components and assemblies. We have a number of very large medical customers uh, that we build for And it's injection molding, it's tool making, it's uh, sheet metal stamping, it's die casting all that boring stuff <laughs> that uh that no but it's it may
1: sound boring but it's actually obviously absolutely critical and yeah. uh, you know it's interesting you know when we look at the the supply chain and all of the challenges that we're seeing right now uh, all of those things that may seem simplistic are actually critical all of a sudden <laughs> and yeah. so um, tell me more about the work that you guys are doing and how that fits into that broader global business challenge today.
0: So, you know, the work that we do. So, so the mechanical part of a product, any product that you would see or touch or, or interact with in this world um, is, you know, the cost of the mechanical part of it is probably 15 percent. Whereas mm-hmm. the electrical part, the electronics uh, are 85 percent. Uh, but the mechanical, the number of mechanical components in a product is about 85%. And the number of electronic components is about 15%. So, uh, and that's in that's in most of the products that we touch. So you've got a lot of, uh, uh, you know, assembly, you know, fasteners. Um, you've got a lot of... Um, you know, precision components that go in for plastics and stamp parts. And so, and and the mechanical components are always custom to the product. It's very rare that any mechanical component is standard. So in what we do, uh, the lead times tend to be long because we have to build custom tooling for our customers Um, and everything then has to come together. There's there's tolerances uh, that are critical um, in most applications. Um, and those tolerances get tighter and tighter as products become you know higher and higher performance. So um so in our in in my world, in our world in the, which is the mechanical world, um, mm-hmm. you know it uh, it gets harder and harder uh, to satisfy customers because they expect very low cost, they expect very fast turnaround times. Yeah. And they expect fantastic quality, because so that's the other part of what's happening in the world today. You know, we we used to be in this world where AQL, uh, that's called acceptable quality level, uh, was yeah. the standard back in the 80s and 90s, where you'd say, hey, the ASTM standard is you can accept five parts per thousand to be defective. And that was considered good quality, right? Um, Then we got into um, Six Sigma and we got into the statistical analysis about, you know, how from a parts per million perspective, how many parts could we have? We got that all the way out to, you know, 10 parts per million could be defective. Um, Now we're in this world that's called zero defect where our customers expect Absolutely zero bad parts delivered to them. So right. this is especially true in mission critical applications uh, for our medical and automotive customers, where they say, if you deliver a single bad part to us out of 20 million, uh, it is a major, major federal case. We're gonna have meetings, you know. So <laughs> So uh, well it's
1: uh I guess it's yeah. that kind of the classic dilemma. You need to be great, you also need to be cheap and you need to be fast.
0: <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> you know, it used guys. to be it used to be pick any two, right? Yeah, uh, you can be cheap and you can be fast, but maybe yeah. it won't be great. You can be great and you know you can be uh fast, but you're not gonna be cheap. You know, you could pick any two, but now the world is so competitive. Um, And the world has gotten flatter and flatter. I mean, people are we're competing uh, head to head with German companies out of Singapore. Um, You know, uh, we're competing with Chinese companies. Uh, We're competing with American companies. Um, So we're all uh, at kind of a level playing and a level playing field. And we've got to be great to, to win. And that's what it comes down to.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, you also are working in an an environment where the dynamics of the marketplace are, are radically shifting uh, under your feet. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about some of the things that you guys are seeing in that area.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, it's just crazy Uh, with, you know, um, with COVID, you know, when COVID hit um, there was, you know, a real, I guess the biggest impact of COVID for us is labor port, lack of labor portability, right? Mm-hmm. So um, what happens around the world is uh, labor moves, right? So when you're in China and you're building products on the coast of China, up and down the coast, because that's where the population is and that's where most of the factories are, uh, the labor is moving from the inland provinces out to the coast, right? Right. So that's where you're getting your lower cost labor from. And that labor movement during COVID was restricted. You you, you know, they just couldn't move around. They were going back to their home provinces and a lot of them weren't coming back. Mm. And so then, you know, uh, switched to the rest of the world where we operate mostly in Southeast Asia, uh, all of a sudden borders were closed. So Singapore, uh, we couldn't get the Indonesian labor. We couldn't get the Nepalese labor. Um, um, we, we really struggled because labor just wasn't available. Um, same thing in Malaysia, um, typically in Malaysia, we would again, source labor from other countries and you're seeing that in the U S right in the U S um, you know, we in the U S do depend on labor coming up from Latin America um and um you know even in in hotels and restaurants and things uh, during the summertime last summer you know people were frustrated by lack of service Mm -hmm. at at hotels because you know we just didn't have that portability of labor so that was a big issue and we still haven't solved that the borders are still closed in asia um, so we still struggle with that every day rising raw material costs i mean aluminum ingot uh is at its highest point uh, over uh, that it's that it's been at over the last, you know, say 10 to 15 years. Um, and it, it seems like uh, it's continuing to go up. Um, it's hard to get uh, because, you know, there's not enough return of, of what we do at aluminum. A lot of it is uh, based on recycle. And yeah. um, so when they don't get the recycled product back, um you end up with limited supply and costs go up and availability goes down same thing with plastics um you know prices are going up and you've probably heard everything about ICs right uh, ICs are incredibly hard to come by so then that 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 creates this sense of scarcity then people hoard so you know I see my buyers buying you know I catch them buying 12 months a months of product in advance and we mm-hmm. end up with all these ballooning inventories uh, we have too much of one thing and not enough of another, uh, hmm. so it's uh, that becomes a real struggle. And then, and then, lastly, it's logistics and and shipping, right? If, right. if you know, you have seen some of the scenes uh, off of Long Beach uh, with yeah, all the container ships backed up. Um, you know, used to be you could ship a forty-foot container from you know Shenzhen to to Long Beach for fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, now that costs twenty five. I saw
1: I saw a great cartoon of uh, a family doing their uh, holiday shopping in a boat, <laughs> going <laughs> going going out to the boats off of Long yeah.
0: Beach. <laughs> yeah, well, that would be, that would be a great way to do it now. And I'll, I'll tell you, um, that has rippling effects when the cost of shipping goes up by you know twenty x. So, you know, and these are things that not only we face but our customers face. So. So you know, how
1: does that impact? Yeah. Uh, I see the rising costs. I, I wish I'd held on to all of those uh, aluminum Coke cans that I've consumed over the years. Yeah. <laughs> Probably could be, you know, the next Yeah, you, you're a rich
0: man now.
1: Yeah, exactly. To but, retire. I mean, how, how does it impact the way you guys uh, approach your operation Going forward, I mean, is there, there have been obviously a lot of discussions about how the supply chain is evolving and shifting so that we don't have uh, kind of these massive shortages that we're seeing. I mean, I'm seeing it all over the place. Uh, I was on a call the other day uh, about the automotive industry and uh, how few new car models are actually going to be coming out, right? And because there's just, everybody seems to be pushing. They're new models, not for 2022, but for 2023 and beyond. You know, because Absolutely. they need they need the new components,
0: right? Yeah. The sad thing is, there's some beautiful new cars, right? Like the Bronco. The Bronco, there. I can give you 10 examples. I'll give you one. We build a lot of components for that vehicle, and that vehicle wow. is in high demand. People want that vehicle. Um, it's it's pre-orders are out 10, 12 months, right? But and you can't get it. And so, you know, because they can't get the ICs and a number of other components that have to go into that vehicle to get it built. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's sad. And so yeah. I because I, I, all the innovation, all the engineering, all the design work, because for any vehicle, uh, companies like us, it takes three to four years of MPI uh, right. uh, development right. Right. to get to that. Production phase, right. right? So there's a lot of money spent by all the suppliers um, in, in in investing really in the future of that vehicle. So we were so excited last year, knowing that we were on so many of these new vehicles, right. but then, but then here we are, where you know these new vehicles just can't get built because uh, we're missing some of the critical components. So yeah, is, I, I is, know it's it's
1: a complicated time, and I'm imagining that. Hopefully it'll it'll open up uh, uh, next year at some point, but certainly in the short term it's going to be tricky. And and I think that that's where I've heard a lot of things like some of the engineering and component manufacturing components might be uh, might actually shift in the way they've been they've been done in the past, right? So there may be stuff done in other markets that it hasn't been done in in the past. Is is that something that you're seeing as well?
0: Oh yeah, I mean you know this started back. You know, with the 302 tariffs that that, right. that were on China, and um, you know that that anywhere from say 15 percent to 25 percent tariff level, um, that's you know most of the products that you buy, the margins people make manufacturing those products is anywhere from 15 to 25 percent. So you add 25 percent tariff on top of that, and you just can't afford that, right? So. Yeah. Most of the manufacturers, um, or many of them, are moving their production out of China when it's ex- when they when they seek to export from China. Wow. So, um, right. Now, so
1: China then becomes a domestic market. Yeah, China.
0: Yeah. Like we have a facility in China, up in northern China, where for our multinational customers, uh, we will build for them in China for China because right. a lot of them you know have global markets that they serve and they, including China they serve China and so uh, our facilities when we do a global program or run a global program will uh, have tooling or production up in China for that domestic market and that's kind yeah. of the way it shifted uh, now all of the markets aren't that way you know medical uh, the margins are so high right and we care. So most of the medical uh, business has stayed there for export. Um, some of the some of the more um, some of the retail consumer stuff like furniture, a mm-hmm. lot of that has stayed because the margins are so high. Right. Uh, so you know where the margins are high, uh, the OEMs or, met or or product people have been slow to move
1: right Um, so it's pretty much kind of vertical by vertical and the higher end verticals or higher value verticals you're still going to see basically that's right Um, out of there
0: and you know so but it's been good for us because our center of gravity at bionics is you know southeast asia and southeast asia still has a really good work ethic and still has low cost labor um so you know, that has uh, been a real boom for us receiving the OEMs that are trying to find um, a competitive place to do business that doesn't have that tariff. So right. so we've been the beneficiaries of that in terms of the growth of our business and our business has grown, you know, 40% a year over the last two years. Um, but we've then uh, at the you know operating level been scrambling around to figure out how to uh, you know, uh, service that growth, yeah. Uh, you know, um, efficiently. So, I mean, Lou, when you look forward, what
1: are the areas that you imagine are, that you're gonna prioritize? I mean, it sounds like it's uh, a market where you're gonna have to have to select a couple of areas <laughs> to make sure uh, they're they're running smoothly. Uh, what does and the future so, look?
0: So, I'll tell you what the future looks like for me and for us at Bionics. And probably for every company, uh, if they're smart, uh, we'll be focused on these things. And the first one is automation. So um, I mentioned labor portability, I mentioned increasing costs of labor. Um, that's a dynamic that's going to continue. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so manufacturers like us have to be committed to automation because the other thing I mentioned about quality uh, I may have uh, discussed that, but customers are, are really demanding quality. And so mm-hmm. manual labor, manual assembly, manual intervention has variability. Right. So, you know, to the extent that you can automate, you can kill two birds in one stone, drive your quality level up and drive your cost down. So we're we're incredibly focused on hiring automation engineers, production engineers. We've got a really good team today that we're growing and we're investing in. And um, we see that as a really big part of our future. The second thing is um, planning. So, you know, um, we have good supply chain planning tools today, um, but they're good. They're not great. And so what we're really trying to do is invest in and, and look for, look at um, every available best-in-class tool that we can bring into the company to help us plan better, and hiring the right people in planning. It's not okay anymore to be an average planner because it has gotten so complex with lead time shifting around yeah. and uh, with you know a bomb, a, a bill of materials that might have 100, compo- 100 parts, um, boy, you better be right in your planning because if one of those parts is missing, you'll be sitting on 99 um, and it kills your cash flow. The third yeah. thing the well, there third may thing be a sound- huge
1: business opportunity there for you. Maybe maybe applying some blockchain technology in that space to, yeah. to track it, right? That's yeah. pretty interesting. So
0: The, the, the last thing is, is power. You know the, the cost of power is skyrocketing. So, um, electricity um, mostly uh, at all of our facilities, you know, Malaysia, Thailand, Singapore, China, we're seeing uh, rates for electricity go up by, you know, anywhere from 30% to 500%, depending on the location. So, we've got to be smarter about utilization. And this means uh, doing complete uh, power reviews uh, on all of our equipment. Um, looking at uh, inverters, uh, things like variable frequency drives, variable speed drives, putting that in front of our compressors, our chillers, our heavy equipment. Um, looking at solar. Um, looking really to uh, reduce our utilization of electricity uh, in half. Um, that's our goal over the next twenty-four months. I'm driving our team um, to think differently about power um, because I, I see. Uh, the future at least you know of our business and heavy industry because our equipment we have huge die casting. Are see- you seeing
1: that governments are supporting that? I mean uh, it seems that I would imagine they would be giving you guys benefits like tax benefits, et cetera for that you know
0: um, not yet. Uh, okay. Well, and, and I think the U.S. is, but we yeah. don't operate in the U.S. And,
1: yeah, you
0: know, what, what China has done to us is China, you probably read some of this, but <laughs> they just shut the power off.
1: Yeah, and no, so, I, I know. So, that, that in, they, October, <laughs> in October, like the, the officials
0: would come by and say, oh, surprise, we're closing you down, right? Yeah. And so we would ask, well, wait a second, uh, how long are you closing us down for? We don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? Oh, well... We'll get back to you. You definitely have to shut down this week and we'll come back on Sunday and let you know if you can open again. And obviously customers don't like that kind of lack of um, uh, uh, consistency, stability in their supply chain. They don't want to hear that you can't deliver a ship and that you don't know when you can, right? Yeah, so,
1: that's got to be a joyful conversation. I imagine uh, you get are, you get some pretty angry calls from some of your big clients, I imagine.
0: <laughs> I can't even imagine.
1: Yeah. Well, Lou, thank you so much. I mean, it's been incredible to talk to you about what uh, you and... Bionics is working on, and certainly we are living in a world where anyone who's involved in any aspect of the engineering and manufacturing supply chain, especially for some of those industries that you guys touch, healthcare, automotive, and technology, this this is a very fluid landscape but also one that's going to be unbelievably critical going forward and yeah. uh, and evolving quickly. And I, I really enjoyed what you had to say about the focus that Bionics is having on automation and how that's going to be a key part of your plans going forward. We've been speaking with Lou Hughes. Lou is the CEO of Bionics. Bionics International is a top 50 global EMS company. They were founded in 1981, and they provide advanced precision engineering and manufacturing solutions for healthcare, automotive, and technology. Lou, if someone wanted to reach you and learn more about what you guys are up to, where should they find you?
0: Well, online, obviously, You know, www.bionics.com is okay. you know, our website. And, and um, of course, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, um, I'm an open networker so. You know, to the extent anybody wants to get a hold of me personally, uh, just come to Lincoln, connect with me um, and uh, engage. I mean, I'm interested in engaging with the world.
1: Excellent. Well, Lou, thank you so much for being on Uncaged Day. And we look forward to talking to you again. Ben, thanks for having me. Cheers. Bye.